Hey everyone, before this podcast begins, we want to tell you about some other arts-related podcasts you're going to love. They are The Conduit Music Podcast, Artsville, Gringo and the Man, Art World Horror Stories, and Not Real Art. On these action-packed podcasts, you'll hear experts talk about creativity, design, the music biz, the art world, visual art, American craft, Chicano art, street art, graffiti, and even stand-up comedy. So be sure to find and follow these great arts podcasts today. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. and salutations my creative brothers and sisters welcome to the not real art podcast where we talk to the world's most creative people and celebrate creative culture and i am your faithful host sourdough here back again after a little bit of a hiatus this episode is all about me today (laughs) it's all about me i'm going to be greedy and selfish and talk about my life because it's been a little bit crazy. Specifically, I want to tell you about my burn. Yes, yes, I am, I confess, a burner. Yeah, don't hate me. (laughs) In fact, Burning Man is a, in my view, required reading for any creative professional. You work in the creative arts or or an artist, or any work in any facet in the creative arts, Burning Man is required reading. Try to go at least once. You will be amazed and inspired and also frustrated and confused (laughs) because it is all of that and more. I wanted to report back, right? This is a podcast about creative culture and creative arts and celebrating artists and helping artists tell their stories. And listen, Burning Man, at its core, is, I think, a performance art piece on a grand scale. And it would be irresponsible, professionally irresponsible of us not to report on Burning Man and report back to you our experiences at Burning Man. And and, and in fact, in this case, my personal experience at Burning Man, because, you know, that's uh, I'm here to share. I'm here to, to I'm an open book. I try to be an open book. And I want you to, it's a pop-up book, by the way, an open pop-up book. And I want to tell you about Burning Man 2022. I want to tell you about my burn. You know, Burning Man culture, we talk about our burns. How was your burn? How was my burn? And best burn ever and all that. Like with any subculture, right? You have your cultural mores and traditions. and, And Burning Man over 30 years now has certainly developed its own language and traditions and culture and jargon, what have you. So yeah, and I'm learning. Listen, I'm I'm new. I mean, I'm just uh, 
three-time burner. This was my third burn. I first went in 2018 and I went back in 2019. And I went back this year. It's been three years, right? Because uh, they canceled it in 2020. They did not do it in 2021 either. And although there was an unsanctioned road gathering of folks, but this year in 2022 was the first sanctioned permitted burn since 2019. And so there was a lot of pent up energy, I think, people coming uh, together, ready to get back to what we call Black Rock City on the playa there outside of Reno, about an hour and a half. So it was quite something. It was quite something to be back after three years. And it's amazing that Burning Man survived. I think the pandemic, so many organizations and companies didn't survive, but Black Rock City did. And it did because they've got hundreds of thousands of people around the world that support them and love them and donate to them and did not want to see the organization suffer. And they wanted to bring Burning Man back and Burning Man came back. Boy, did it come back this year. You know, I think it was off the charts on so many levels. And this thing has grown. I mean, let's let a little quick history lesson. Let's remember that Burning Man started because an artist named Larry Harvey built a wooden structure one day in San Francisco, I think back in 1990 or 1989. And he called up his buddy, said, hey, I'm going down to the beach to burn this thing. And so he and his friends went down, as legend has it. To the beach there in San Francisco and propped up this wooden man that he built and they burned it. And so that was the beginnings. And a few people noticed the man burning, came by to watch it burn. And he did it again a year later. And that year, a few hundred people showed up to watch the man burn. And he did it every year for a few years until eventually the city kicked him out <laughs> because there were a few thousand people that would come and watch the man burn and they said you can't do this in the city you can't do this on the beach here you gotta you gotta get out of town so they found a home out there in the desert outside of reno in black rock city which is a gorgeous landscape uh, essentially it's the dried up lake bed of a ancient lake and a massive ancient lake and so now you have this playa that is hugely expansive and chances are you've seen the playa in a car commercial because they're always filming car commercials and other things out there because it is so beautiful and it's so stark. It's quite majestic in its way for a dusty old desert. But so yeah, that's sort of the humble beginnings in a very, very succinct nutshell. Could get into the connections to the Cacophony Society out of San Francisco, which brings, I think, the humor and the comedy and the cultural jamming, the parody and the, the satire along with it. And that's a whole nother dimension. But Burning Man was started because of one man, an artist named Larry Harvey. And now in 2022, 80,000 people come to build this city for a week and live in the city for a week and commune in the city for a week and visit and fellowship in the city for a week. And of course, share and gift and dance and party. Burning Man has a reputation for being quite the party place. It is the party place, a party place. I mean, heck, 80,000 people. I mean, that's bigger than some most many towns and cities in our country. And they bring their music and they bring their booze and some bring their drugs. And it is a hell of a time. Things going on 24-7. 
activities, art experiences, concerts, theme camps. I mean, these things go on and on 24-7 for seven days. And it's a free, it's a world of radical self-expression. People love to express themselves and there's a lot of fun dressing up and donning, you know, fun, funky clothes. There's certainly an aesthetic to Burning Man in, in many ways. Yes, there's the Mad Max element, and yes, there's the hippie element, and yes, there is the birthday suit element, a lot of public nudity. People enjoy, celebrate our human form. It's just kind of beyond words in terms of explaining. But in terms of statistics, I can tell you there were 80,000 people there this year, uh, apparently. We had over 1,500 theme camps. We had, I think around 600 art cars and we had 337 art installations so <laughs> good luck seeing all that you literally skimmed the surface i know i just skimmed the surface you know a friend of mine did the math and with 1500 theme camps alone if you spent 10 minutes at each camp 12 hours a day it would take you two and a half weeks to see all the camps and, of course, that's just the camps. It doesn't include the art cars, the 600 art cars, and the 337 art installations. I mean, this thing is on a massive scale. And people, and it's a product of love and passion that people do for no money. I mean, nobody's making money on this thing. It's a nonprofit organization that puts it on. People donate their talents and time and treasure to erect and build this city, but for a week. And sure, there's artists getting some grants here and there, but trust me, at the end of the day, when you look at the, the size and scale and the time it takes to make some of these amazing artworks, it is truly for the love of the game. You have so the generosity of so many countless people that make Burning Man the experience that it is, is quite remarkable and inspiring and hopeful. It gives us hope that maybe, just maybe, humanity isn't as fucked up as we think it is. Oh, wait, it's fucked up. But there are people out there that are trying to make a difference and use art, the power of art, to delight and charm and escape and help us escape, uh, if but for a week, the insanity that is the so-called default world. And there's that jargon I was talking about. Because in Burning Man culture, we talk about going home. Welcome home. Welcome back home. And when you're there at Black Rock City, you refer to your quote-unquote real life in the default world. And so Black Rock City is your true home, if but for a week, and then you have to go back to the default world and wait another 51 weeks <laughs> before you can get back. So the scale of this thing is off the charts. And yeah, it, it, it's impossible to really describe, but I, I wanted to give you a sense of just the numbers. Now, for me this year, my burn, third burn, was interesting because I am a core member of a camp called Camp Corny, which originates out of Portland, Oregon. And my dear, dear buddy Disco, his playa name, is the camp lead, and he's sort of started this little camp several years ago that's grown into a big camp. And it's so amazing, and I'm so grateful to be a part of it. And, you know, historically, what I've done is I fly to Portland drive down, caravan down with the crew to set up camp ahead of time. And we have camp primarily arrives in two 40-foot containers filled with all our shit. 
And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but we'll haul a bunch of trailers down as well. But essentially, you know, we get down, you know, a few days before Burning Man officially starts, which, you know, is usually on that Saturday before Labor Day around midnight or Sunday morning, midnight, depending on how you want to think about it. And so we arrived, or I arrived this year, the Thursday before, which is typically when I arrive. We had the core core team out of Portland arrive a couple days before that. So when I arrived on Thursday, a few key structures were were already erected, which was kind of amazing to see. But I, this year, did not go to Portland and drive down with the caravan. I actually drove up from L.A., where I live, and rented an RV out of LA, and I'm very lucky to be able to rent an RV to do that, because Burning Man fundamentally is a camping trip. It is a camping trip at its core, and if you don't like camping, you may not like Burning Man. And oh, by the way, it's an extreme, or can be an extreme camping trip with the weather. And if nothing else, it's extreme because there's no water anywhere to be found, and you've got to completely support yourself. Radical self-reliance is one of the core principles of Burning Man, and it's up to you to look after yourself. In fact, on the back of the ticket that you get, basically it says, you agree you could die a Burning Man. <laughs> that's, that's on the back of the ticket. You agree that you could die. We are not liable. Burning Man is not liable for your death. That's the kind of extreme nature that Burning Man brings and the radical self-reliance that you need to bring to make sure you survive and you don't die. And uh, hydration is key. Water, uh, you got to drink a gallon and a half a day just to stay ahead of the dehydration. But, you know, so it's an extreme camping trip. And if you don't like camping or extreme camping, you may not like Burning Man. And by the way, every year is different. You can't predict the weather. This year was definitely one of the hottest and dustiest on record. Big conversation of the week. Temperatures were well over 100. I think a couple of days we had about 110 degree temperatures. I don't know that it really ever cooled down. We certainly, at night, you know, typically sort of see the desert climate get quite cool and in, you know, 45, 50 degrees, maybe colder. This year, not really so much. You know, I think one night it got down to 50. But most nights were definitely on the on the warmer side, at least from what we're typically used to. But in addition to the hot, hot, hot heat, we had some dusty dust blowing around with 40 mile an hour gusts and winds, windstorms, sandstorms blowing through what felt like every day, although I don't think it was every day, but it's almost every day we had major whiteout dust storms. And that's when you don your goggles and your face mask and you just hug a tree and wait it out. Oh, wait, there's no tree to hug. You're probably just hugging the person you're with or hugging the artwork that you're standing by if you can find one. But you got to hunker down. You get a white out sandstorm blow through. You can't see five feet in front of you. And so you put your goggles on, you wait it out. And by the way, that sandstorm might take five minutes. It might take five hours. You don't know. <laughs> and that's part of the adventure. Burning Man is definitely an adventure and an extreme camping trip, as I said, and the weather definitely makes it so. So having an RV is great. And listen, you know, I'm lucky, but, you know, there's some hardcore people out there camping it out. They're in their tents and roughing it. And I admire the hell out of those folks because, you know what, they're out there because they love it and they want to be at Burning Man no matter what. Burning Man is not an inexpensive endeavor. And of course, that's part of the criticism of Burning Man is that it's so expensive and not very diverse, a lot of rich white people, so to speak. And they're doing a lot of work to change that. They're trying to 
make it more accessible, more affordable, more diverse. A lot of efforts going into that. So kudos to Black Rock City and the leadership and the council there for working hard to make that happen. You know, so, right. I mean, I get my RV. I was lucky to get an RV. Of course, you know, RVs are out, certainly out here out west are in great demand during Burning Man. Of course, companies, uh, some companies won't even rent to you because they know where you're going and they don't want their RVs to come back white and dusty through and through and have to clean it and deal with it because the dust does get in everything. I think I'm still cleaning dust out of my ears and my ass, <laughs> but the it takes a beating on the RV. So some companies just don't want you to go with their RVs. So the companies that do rent RVs to so-called burners like me are, it's a business. They want to make money. So they, of course, jack up their prices and price gouge you because they can. And so I got my RV. I was disappointed to find out my generator, which runs my AC, was running off a propane tank and a 15 gallon propane tank. And that was, that's a problem because of course, you know, I've got to suddenly manage my propane so I don't run out of propane and I can use my AC. And so that was a, that was a bit of a hassle just to be frank around managing the usage of my air conditioning. Cause it was fucking hot, man. It was uh, like I said, 110 degrees some days. And I wanted that AC pumping because by the way, I'm, I'm old and frail now. I'm 52 and frail. I need that AC. And my 25-year-old self would scoff and laugh at me, to be fair. But yeah, so I had to manage my propane accordingly. But I managed to uh, managed to do that Well, <laughs> to a point. So anyway, I get my RV and it was a Class C. So it was one of the smaller uh, rigs. Perfect for me. Not really great for two or three people. I mean, if it was my wife... If she was with me, that'd be fine. But if it were two strangers in the RV, it would have been kind of tough and tight. But for me, it was fine, quite comfortable. I was very grateful to have it. So I drove up. I drove up from LA. I drove up the 395, essentially, through uh, the desert there. What is that? Death Valley out of Ontario, California, up through the eastern Sierra Nevadas, drove to Mammoth, where I overnighted and finished packing up and what have you. And then I drove to Reno and then to the famous Gate Road. Now, coming from this direction, coming from the south for the first time, I experienced what Burning Man is like coming, you know, into the playa from the south. You know, you hear a lot about towns like Gerlach, which is kind of the base of operations for Burning Man there near Black Rock City. They're based out of San Francisco, but Gerlach is the last town before you get to the playa. And so you hear, and it's also the last place where you can get fuel and water and supplies. So for me, it was interesting to drive through Reno into Gerlach because I really got to see how the Burning Man uh, enterprise has impacted local communities and, and economies. There's a whole economy that has grown up around Burning Man with people selling things and offering things and whether it's supplies or clothing or mechanical stuff. And this is to and fro. I mean, on the way in, they're trying to sell you food and clothes. On the way out, they're trying to sell you car washes and garbage dumps 
and donate your bike or whatever. But this economy, and there's a lot of criticism about Burning Man's impact on the environment, the footprint. There definitely is a carbon footprint, a big carbon footprint associated with Burning Man. I mean, anybody with half a brain knows that. And some people have been concerned and critical about the implication of Burning Man on local tribes there, indigenous tribes. And, you know, I know the organization has worked very, very hard in collaboration with so many of those tribes to work together so that there's a mutual benefit. Um, Certainly the permitting process that they go through with BLM to get the permit to do Burning Man on the Playa really forces them to adhere to very rigorous standards, not the least of which is leaving no trace when they leave the playa. So, so much work is done to remove all of the moop. There's the jargon again. What is moop? Material out of place. Material out of place. And of course, in camping and sustainable, environmentally free camping, we always talk about leaving no trace. And Black Rock City and Burning Man works very, very hard to leave no trace. And so, Anyway, it was fascinating to see how 80,000 people converging on this very, very small place and the economy that kind of grew up out of this over the years. And it's quite vibrant, quite interesting. However, so I came through Gerlach. I fueled up because I knew I I wanted to go in before I go into Burning Man because you just never know, you know, what's going to happen and you don't want to run out of gas. So... I fueled up and I got to what they call Gate Road. Now, Gate Road is the road that leads to the Gate of Burning Man. And this road is not really a road. It's more of a dusty uh, pathway, a dusty trail that cars drive down. It's about six miles. So you, you basically pull off the state highway, off the pavement, onto the dirt, you and 80,000 other people. And you converge on to Gate Road. And it's about a six-mile road down to the gate. And that's where they check your tickets and check your parking vehicle pass because you can't drive in without a vehicle pass. And they also check your payload and make sure you're not smuggling any humans (laughs) who don't have tickets and what have you. And that six-mile road is the subject of much conversation because depending on when you arrive and how you arrive and depending on the weather, it might take you 12 hours to go down Gate Road, which is six miles. It might take you longer to go down Gate Road than it took you to drive there from where you live. I mean, from L.A., for me, essentially, it's a nine-hour drive, 10-hour drive from L.A. with a few stops to Gate Road, but then... It took me three hours to get to down the gate road this year. Now, that was good. Three hours was good. I wasn't complaining. I was tired. I was driving alone, of course. I did not have a co-pilot, as it were. So, yeah. So, I arrived Thursday to gate road Thursday night, and it took me three hours to get down that six miles because it's just bumper-to-bumper traffic, bumper-to-bumper cars, trucks, RVs all kinds of vehicles hauling in stuff and people are there to set up their camps and you know the 1500 theme camps and the multiple 600 art cars and the 337 artworks and everyone's converging on these gates and so eventually one way or another weather permitting you get through the gates and they could shut the gate down i mean if the if the storm kicks up and weather gets bad well those people have to take shelter and they have to shut the gate you have to sit there i mean i've heard of people sitting there for 24 hours trying to get in (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? Again, love of the game. People can't wait to go home. I mean, they're willing to put up with this 
level of adversity and self-imposed adversity and pay a great price for the privilege because they can't wait to get home back to Black Rock City. And so I was lucky because I got in three hours. So I get in and I get to my camp. I find my camp at 4.30 and B, or was it 4.15 and B? <laughs> ah, it's all fading. And it's a family reunion. Camp Corny, I've been a member of for, like I said, since 2018. My friend started several years ago. And arriving back to Camp Corny and to see my dear friends that I haven't seen in three years was just a wonderful, joyous moment and certainly a highlight of the week. And I pulled in Thursday night. Remember, it's like, not you know, it's not a whole lot going on Thursday night. I mean, it's amazing. Each night the city gets built. It's exponentially bigger and more illuminated. But on a Thursday night, it's pretty sparse, pretty dark, not a lot going on. But I pulled into our camp and the core team was from Portland. Folks like KB, Bro, Homer, Disco, Tiny T, they were all there. And Toolkits and Solo and <laughs> all the crew, the core team were there. And it was just a beautiful moment of wonderful family reunion, if you will. And it was it was a special, special reunion after you know not seeing these guys for three years. And Camp Corny, Corny refers to our unicorns, and Corny the unicorn is our camp mascot, and there's an origin story there, which I may or may not go into, but the unicorn is our mascot, and our camp is themed with these massive unicorns, or the, the gate that enters our camp are these 20 feet high unicorns that breathe fire. <laughs> it's amazing, so when I was pulling up... I was looking, it was quite dark, you couldn't really see, and I was looking for camp, and I saw the unicorns in the in the distance in the dust, and I said, there's home, there, there's our camp. And I pull in and get reunited with our dear, my dear, dear friends, my family, my Camp Corny family. And, you know, but who are Cornians? Who the fuck are we? And what is Camp Corny after all? Well, let me tell you a little bit about our camp. Our camp is a themed camp, and our gift to the playa because gifting is one of the core uh, attributes of Burning Man. And we offer a gift to the playa. Our gift is that we run a spirit animal adoption center. Yes, that's right. A spirit animal adoption center. And with our state-of-the-art technology, we match you with your spirit animal. 100% guaranteed match because our technology, did I say this? Our technology is state-of-the-art. NASA may or may not have been involved in the development of this technology. And you come in, you spin our wheel, and then you jump into a pile of hundreds of stuffed animals that we have rescued from around the country. We have rescued thousands of stuffed animals around the country who are starving or sick because they've not been loved. They live on a diet of dance and no one's danced with them. No one's loved them and they're sick. And so they're looking for an adoptive parent and our technology matches them with their adoptive parent. But to dance with your spirit animal, you need a party pool. And so as soon as you jump in the pool of stuffed animals, the first stuffed animal you feel, that's your spirit animal. And you climb out of that and then you enter our little outpatient uh, hospital where we conduct a very small, minor surgical procedure. Not that painful, really. 
uh, perfectly safe, but we insert a party pull up the anus of your spirit animal. Don't worry, again, not that painful, but we insert the party pull so that on the dance floor you can raise your spirit animal above your head and dance with it and nurture it and love it back to health because it lives on a diet of dance. And if there happens to be some pain and discomfort, we don't think it's probable, it's possible, it's not probable, but we have a pharmacy in the back. And if you go to our pharmacy and you get our proprietary formulation of a rainbow drink, that rainbow drink is guaranteed to mitigate any pain or suffering that you and your spirit animal might be having. And so this is what Camp Corny is. We run a spirit animal adoption center to match, use our state-of-the-art technology to match you with your spirit animal. And it is a fun, fun time. And we've done this over the last several years. We've probably matched up, let's see, about we do about 3,000, 2,000 to 3,000 stuffed animals every year. And we've been doing this, what, several years. So let's just say conservatively, we have matched up 5,000 spirit animals with their 5,000 adoptive parents over the last several years. And they're all over the world. And to this day, we get photos and videos of people with their spirit animals, partying with their spirit animals all over the world. And it's just wonderful. In fact, sometimes what will happen is, and it just happened to me this morning, I was reading an article about Burning Man. There was a bunch of photos. And in the photo, they had a photo of a bunch of burners at Burning Man, and uh, somebody had their spirit animal raised above their head in the photo <laughs> on this uh, newspaper. And, uh, and you, that happens all the time uh, when you're Burning Man. You go to party to party, or you ride around, check out things, and inevitably you run into somebody who has their spirit animal. And uh, it, it's, it's just, just a fun way to connect and to celebrate and oh by the way did i mention the kids love it oh yeah the kids love it and i'm just talking about i'm not talking about the adult kids sure the adult kids love it i love it but uh, the real kids because of course uh, there are kids at burning man believe it or not there's a whole kid land where families go and bring their kids and as i like to joke burning man is really made for two kinds of people Adults on drugs and kids. <laughs> That's kind of, it's an oversimplification, believe me. But really, children, certainly the ages uh, between four and 10, I think, you know, naturally would love the amount of creativity and, and playfulness and delight and charm that Burning Man has with its art and its theme parks and its theme camps and the art cars. And so kids come to our parties, our, our spirit animal adoption parties. And it's just great to see them find their spirit animals and celebrate and dance with their parents on the dance floor. It's just fantastic. Our parties are epic. We do three parties and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Monday was our block party just for our neighbors as a gift to them. And then Tuesdays and Wednesdays, we threw our adoption center parties where we had well over 2,000 people come over two days to find their spirit animals. We were talking about the heat suppressing attendance. We probably would have had 1,000 or 2,000 more people come through. It was so damn hot. We really think that probably people were staying closer to home. But we were out there partying our asses off and matching people with their spirit animals. And it was just a delight. And, you know, all of this is only possible because of the Cornians that run the camp. And that includes myself, but it includes about 60 other people. We have about 60 people in our camp. And I mentioned the core team earlier, people like Disco and Tiny T and Space Dan and Suvi and 
Toolkit and Solo and Bro and Homer. I mean, I could go on and on. The Kitchen Crew, it was just they were just a delight. Anyway, it takes a village, right? It takes a team. And Camp Corny is Camp Corny because of the people at the end of the day. But our parties are rocking because of our DJs. Our DJs are fucking sick, man. I got to tell you, you know, we prioritize music in our camp. And so we have Dijon, we have Manet, Voltaire. (laughs) I can't even say it. The Serious Lady Six Guy, Soul. And Voltavius, that's who it is, I'm trying to fucking say. And let's not forget Antoinette Van de Werk. These DJs were sick. They were killing it. They just brought the bass, brought the jams, and brought the dance party to, to new heights this year. I'll post on the show notes who these DJs are so you can check them out. But one of the highlights of our camp, of course, is Double Barrel. And Double Barrel is a dear friend. She's a medical examiner in the default world, but is also a professional aerialist in the default world. She's an artist, and her art artistry is as an aerialist, performing 20 feet above the floor, spinning and twisting and swinging on chains and fabric long strips of fabric. You've seen aerialists in things like Cirque du Soleil, for example. And Double Barrel brings her artistry and her talents and her gifts to the camp. And she is performing during our parties. And so people get to watch her spin and twist and swing and hang 20 feet off the off the playa floor in 110 degree heat. And you just sit there and marvel at her gifts and her strength and her toughness and her love um, because it is quite something to see her stamina and her endurance and her grit and her resilience. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. So big shout out to Double Barrel for bringing her aerialist artistry to camp this year and to our parties. And she's just such a, a delight. But As I was saying, you know, one of my favorite things about Burning Man this year was watching the kids come. The kids just love Camp Corny and love finding their spirit animal. And, you know, I'm sure there's some controversy out there. People saying, wait, you know, I thought Burning Man was a drug-fueled orgy. Why are families bringing, why are parents bringing their kids? Guys, chill the fuck out. (laughs) I'm, I'm just delighted to see parents with their kids out there. You know, I think if you're between the ages of four and 10, you get it in a way that uh, it's meant to be got. And so it's just a a special thing to see families and parents. I know I'm a parent, so I guess I have a soft spot and I miss my kids. I miss my kids so much this week. And that was one of my least favorite parts about Burning Man this year, missing my kids and just kind of blue about that couple of days and you know and actually in all candor you know my I usually leave early this was my third burn but my first year seeing the man burn you know the man burn burn night is Saturday night and I usually leave by Wednesday because my daughter's birthday is August 30th and I've never missed her birthday and this year actually we worked out a deal I adequately bribed her <laughs> my daughter to let me stay and uh, for burn night this year and we so I was there for the whole week but I had to call my daughter on her birthday because I just missed her so much 
And, you know, let let me let me be clear, though. I adequately bribed her. We celebrated. We have a daddy daughter date tradition. And she and I went out and celebrated prior to my leaving. And I spoiled her rotten. And then her birthday party was actually September 10th. So we were able to I was was there, of course, at the party. But anyway, I missed the hell out of my kids. I didn't really expect that. I mean, I was actually looking forward to escaping my kids because it'd been a long summer (laughs) with a lot of kid activities. And I was looking forward to a little selfish me time because I do like my alone time. And I had my trust me, I definitely had my moments, but I was kind of surprised that I missed the kids as much as I did because testament to just how much they mean to me and, and how much they've changed my life. So that was a bit of a shock. Maybe it shouldn't have been, but it was. Another one of my least favorite parts was the weather. My God, it was fucking hot and windy. Not at good times, uh, to say the least. In terms of artwork, I mean, where do I start? I was going to talk a little bit about my favorite artworks. And I mean, there's 600 art cars and 337 art installations. I mean, how the hell do you even begin to talk about what your favorite art is? Because it's all so unique and special. And I barely see all of it. I mean, it's, it's everywhere and you just skim the surface. I guess I also have a bit of a confession to make here because some people go in and study very hard what artists are there and what artworks are there and they sort of create a game plan and an agenda for the kind of art they want to go see. And I don't do that. You know, I'm much more laissez-faire and impromptu about it. I like to discover art and roll up on it out of nowhere and, and appreciate it for what it is, almost like magic. I don't really have too much of an agenda when it comes to seeing the art. And while I've seen certainly dozens and dozens and dozens of art installations this summer. And I I don't know how many I saw. Maybe I saw over a hundred, but maybe more. I don't know. But admittedly, I couldn't tell you really the names of the artists that make them because you just sort of roll up and you see them and you're like, wow. And your mind is blown. You spend time there. And I think, you know, if there's a criticism to be made or a critique, artists and Burning Man need to do a better job of attribution on Playa. And unless there's something I'm missing, it's hard to know sometimes exactly what the artwork is called and who did the art. Some art pieces are clearly marked and communicated as to the attribution. But, you know, so anyway, so for me, I kind of just go out and explore. And I have adventures and I roll up on artworks and just have my mind blown because the level of engineering, ingenuity, creativity, technical prowess is just off the charts. You know, certainly the Paradisium was one of my favorite artworks this year. The Paradisium being built by Dave Keane and the Folly Builders. Those of us who were in 2019, were there in 2019, we remember the the Folly, which was just (laughs) crazy off the charts art installation, you know, made of wood. And it was a whole house. It was it was incredible. I can't even begin to explain it, but Google the Folly. It'll come up, Burning Man the Folly. And this year they built a thing called Paradisium, which was this forest in the desert made of hand-cut or machine-cut custom wood pieces that were fitted together like a beautiful, beautiful organic puzzle that comprised this forest in the desert. And what was so amazing was that depending on where you were on Playa and depending on the lighting and depending on whether it was day or night, 
this thing shape-shifted. It was hard to see what it was. I remember at night when I saw it at first, the lights, it didn't look at all like a forest. It looked uh, almost like an architectural structure of buildings out in the distance. I said, what is that? And the closer you got to it, you started to realize, like, actually, it's a it's a forest of trees, wooden trees that they built with these sort of passageways. You could climb up into the trees and walk across the sky of the trees. And that's the other thing that's so key about artwork at Burning Man is that it's interactive. You know, it, it invites you to climb into it and climb in it or, or stand on it or swing on it or dance on it, whatever the case might be. And so it's very incredibly immersive and interactive. And that's kind of the point, you know, interacting with with the artwork. And, you know, there were amazing structures and artworks on the playa this year. I mean, El Nino was one of the owl. My people might know it as the owl, the wood owl. That was, a, that was freaking really fun. You have just countless structures. You know, of course, the man itself is a, <laughs> right, is an incredible artwork that gets, of course, burned down. You know, the saloon art car was a fun one this year. And I mean, literally, it was an art car that was a saloon. And it would drive around and it would park and you could walk into the art car, like an old town Western saloon. You go in there and get shots of whiskey. <laughs> and it was so neat it was so cool i could just go on and on the the last ocean by jen lewin from brooklyn again just a shout out to endangered species polar bears in particular who are struggling for survival there as the polar caps melt you know a library in transition was another amazing one by julia nelson gal from palo alto this was a art installation made of books, actually, and uh, pages and covers and books. And it was, some might say, I guess, a critique on our state of education and the state of books in this country these days and the importance uh, of literature and books and reading. Catharsis was another one that was incredible by uh, Arthur uh, Mamu Mani and the Catharsis crew, which was incredible. And I was talking about kind of more and more diversity. You know, one of my favorite pieces was this piece. And I don't know who the artist was, but it was literally, it said, if you looked at it from one angle, it said black. If you looked at it from another angle, it said white. And it was incredible because it just would change like that. And, you know, if you walked around it, it one angle, it said black and the other angle, it said white. And it was uh, obviously saying, you know, we're the same. On a certain level, we are the same. And at least that's what it said to me. We're all humans and you can't separate us, although they try. And it was just a fantastic piece. A lot of people were talking about it because it was uh, really, really smart. Another piece was uh, Black Ace or Os, A-S-E by Aaron Douglas and Black Burner Project from Baltimore, Maryland. That was really cool. It was a uh, silhouette not a silhouette but like a torso a human torso coming out of the, the dirt human like it was 30 feet high maybe a taller 40 feet and i was like oh, shit i mean it could have been 50 feet high it was fucking tall <laughs> it was big it was of this man of color uh, wearing a face scarf and some goggles and jewelry and just a beautiful beautiful piece and you know i could go on and on 
Me Bhuvan Vassal by Leroy New and Luca Perlari from Manila was uh, fantastic. We'd climb up into these spheres and hang out, which was fantastic. And lastly, one of my favorite pieces was the piece of the man and woman, the chrome polished piece that stood incredibly tall out there on the playa. And for the life of me, I can't find the name of the artist who built it, and I've been looking for it so soon, but I'll post a photo of it on the show notes so that you can see it. But it was such an incredibly gorgeous piece, polished incredibly brightly, and it probably stood 100 feet high as a man and a woman holding hands, but they seem to be evaporating into nothingness and into the sky. And it was sort of a, and for me anyway, it was sort of a commentary on the connection between our environment and mankind, the symbiotic relationship that we have with our environment and how it impacts us and we impact it. But yet at the same time, it seemed hopeful. It wasn't depressing on any level. It was gorgeous. It was beautiful. And it was hopeful on some level. So anyway, so I, I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, there was, like I said, 337 artworks and 600 art cars. I haven't talked about the art cars. Shit. I mean, RoboHeart, Mayan Warrior. These art cars, of course, are some of the favorite art cars people talk about because they throw amazing parties and they have incredible sound systems and the DJs that play on them are incredible. But, you know, you have art cars like the saloon I just talked about. I mean, countless cars full of creativity and so much fun. It's amazing. And Burning Man is filled with stories. I mean, you just have magical moments and you know some random things. I mean, I had this year, PDA went to a whole nother level, public displays of affection. I mean, I rolled up on two different couples having sex at various times. <laughs> I I came came home one night to my camp about three in the morning, and there was a couple fucking outside my RV. It was like, oh, hey, <laughs> what's going on? Congratulations. Uh, do, do you need a cigarette? <laughs> you know, just wild. And a couple nights later, I was at way deep playa, and I had a party, and there was a couple doing all sorts of things on the dance floor. <laughs> it was it was quite something. It's that spirit of freedom out there in the playa. People just get nuts. They get crazy. It's pretty hilarious when you roll up on something, and it shocks you, much like my next story, because I was coming home from the temple, and the temple, of course, is a very special place there. I've lost my religion a long time ago, so there's not a whole lot that's sacred to me anymore, really. But there are certain things, my family, my friends, nature, sacred to me. And the temple itself is actually incredibly sacred. It's uh, the humanity that is there is incredible. People come and build shrines and memorials to their loved ones and friends who have been lost. And it's a incredibly human experience to walk through the temple. You have people... You read people's stories. Of course, this year there were so many people lost to COVID in addition to cancer and in all kinds of other stories. And people are crying and praying and meditating and chanting and, you know, as you walk through. And so the temple's quite big. And so you just get this very poignant, compelling, intimate sense of energy, of loss, of healing, of of love there in the temple. So for me, it's an incredibly sacred 
beautiful place. It's hard. I'm a, I'm a softie, so it's hard not to get a tear. And, and, and as you read some of these stories and I went to go honor my dad who passed last year. And while I was walking uh, around while looking at the various uh, memorials, there was a young man who had passed away clearly way too early based on his photo. He's probably in his late twenties. And his best friend who had written a note, it wasn't clear what had happened in terms of why he passed, but he had passed. And so the best friend left a note about how Burning Man had given them the best memories of their lives and that she'll always go to Burning Man to honor him and dance for him. And he lives in her heart and she will come to Burning Man for them both moving forward and that Burning Man had given them the best memories of their lives. And... There's a photo of them at Burning Man, this big photo. And the photo is of them at Camp Corny with their spirit animals from 2019, I'm guessing. And it just blew me away. Blew me away. Here's our goofy little camp, Camp Corny. And one of our adoptive parents is not with us anymore. And their best friend was saying it was one of their best experiences and she thought so much of it to post a photo in the temple of them at our camp holding their spirit animals and they couldn't have been happier with the big smiles on their faces and you know it's that kind of magic and love and joy that i think starts to help illustrate what burning man is about and you know we run this fun little goofy camp and who knew that it meant so much to somebody that they would post about it at the temple and of course, they burn the temple as a way of letting go and giving away and letting go and healing. And so the temple burns on Sunday night. I actually didn't see the temple burn myself, but it was absolutely, you know, it's a tradition that people really look forward to. And so on Saturday night, that's burn night. The man burns on Saturday night. And it was my first time seeing the man burn. And I got to tell you, it was even cooler than I thought. I mean, it's really awesome because all the 600 art cars come together and form a perimeter around the man as the man burns. And the amount of fireworks alone that they set off prior to the man catching fire is incredible. I mean, it is such a spectacle and a true delight. And I tell you, it was better than I thought it was going to be. I'm so glad that I was able to be there that night. And, you know, it was quite something. And I got to see it with my dear Burnt Camp Corny family and friends. And it was amazing. It was, it was sort of incredible. And by the way, I mean, I, I, I didn't talk about the amount of lasers and drones in the sky this year. The drone art is off the charts. The lasers are off the charts. You know, the evolution of the technology is incredible. I mean, the electrification of the playa and the bikes now, the electric bikes are generally the rule now, not the exception. Back in 2019, you know, electric bikes were definitely the exception, not the rule. And this year, there were at least half of, I think, half of the bikes were uh, electrified. And that was a, a fascinating thing. And sort of speaks to the evolution of Burning Man, how technology impacts Burning Man. Certainly LED lighting has impacted Burning Man. It used to always be about the fire. And now, of course, it, it is a lot about you know, lighting, LED lighting, neon lighting, maybe not neon, but, but LED lighting. And of course, for example, the personal smartphone, the, the cameras. Cameras proliferate now and a lot of the, the, the nudity has, has decreased because People are taking photographs all over the place, and people talk about how there used to be a lot more nudity back 
20 years ago, um, and the smartphone, the personal phone, the cameras on them have really mitigated a lot of that. So it's interesting to see how technology is changing things. But drones, my God, the amount of drone art in the sky is incredible what these drones do. Hundreds of thousands of drones shape-shifting in the sky, forming structures. One of the artists created a space invaders game in the sky using drones. It was that would then turn into the man that was then running across the sky. Again, hard to explain. If you weren't there, you weren't there. It's you just it's hard to imagine. But I think, you know, my prediction in five years time, the sky overhead is going to be just a canopy of drones and lasers. And it's going to be incredibly exciting to see. So burn night was Saturday night. And Saturday and, and Sunday, big strike days for camp. You know, we start breaking camp down. And breaking camp down is a lot quicker, a lot easier than setting camp up. And this year we had a lot of uh, people helping us out. So it went even more quickly. And, you know, it's a bittersweet thing because on one hand, you're happy to sort of get out of the heat and the dust uh, after several days. On the other hand, you don't want to leave your friends and you don't want to leave camp because it's an epic time together. You know, striking camp, it was, again, my first time striking camp. I thought it went by pretty well. And, you know, I started hearing people talk about the exodus out on Gate Road, and it was taking five, six, seven hours. Uh, my plan originally was to, to watch the temple burn on Sunday night and leave Monday morning. But then when I started realizing it was taking hours to get down Gate Road, I said, I can't do that. I got to get out of here. I got to be home by you know Monday afternoon. And so I decided to leave camp after striking. I guess I left, pulled out there about 6 p.m., and guess what? Guess how many hours it took me to get down Gate Road? Guess how long it took me to drive six miles? One hour? No. Two hours? No. Three hours? No. Five hours? No. Six hours? No. Eight hours? Nope. Ten hours, people. Ten hours it took me to drive six miles down Gate Road as a mass exodus was taking place. And pro tip, Next time I'm leaving right after the man burns, <laughs> um, because my friends left right after the man burned, they were out in 30 minutes. And so it's quite something, this exodus and driving alone. And what would happen is sort of pulses out. You have all these people trying to converge on this two lane highway. And so what they do is they basically let you out a half mile at a time. So it sort of pulses. So what happens is you drive a half mile, you turn the engine off, and then you wait an hour. And then, then an hour later, people start moving in. You turn on your engine. You drive another half mile. You wait another hour. Do that again and again and again. Well, I did that 10 times. Well, I was able to sleep a little bit. I'd sleep 30, 40 minutes. Then people would start honking. You know, it's like honk, honk, honk. Okay, we're, get, we're ready to go again. And then you drive another half mile and then wait. And this is why you need to go in with a full tank of gas because you just don't know how long it's going to take you to get in and out of this joint. Right. And so 10 hours was a long time. I mean, shit, it took me longer to get out than it took me to get home. I mean, once I hit the pavement, uh, I drove for two hours. I pulled over. It was 530 in the morning. I slept for a couple hours. Then at 730, I started driving again. I drove to Mammoth uh, where I regrouped and then drove into L.A. And so it, I guess, totally took me nine, eight, nine hours to get back to LA, but it took me 10 hours to get to the down gate road to the pavement. So it was a heck of a trip to go to and from, but that's the joy. Nothing good is easy. And when I returned my RV, 
it was hilarious because the folks at the RV place looked at, they were doing their 891 point inspection. And of course, everything is dusty white. And they're looking at the odometer. And then they say to me, we thought you were going to uh, Burning Man. I said, I did. They said, well, your odometer says that you drove 30,000 miles. And I looked at them and I said, like I said, I went to Burning Man. And so <laughs> what the hell? I mean, Burning Man to and from the RV place is what, a 600 mile drive to and from? I didn't drive for a week. And so maybe I put, maybe I drove 12, 1300 miles and yet the odometer said I drove 30,000. What's that about? Well, that's playa magic for you. I can't even begin to explain it. Well, I can, but I won't because I like the implication of what I'm saying. And it was quite funny, but definitely they charged me a premium for cleaning this freaking RV off. Several hundred dollars to clean the RV. <laughs> uh, the dust gets in everything, including my ass, which I'm happy to say, I think I've finally gotten all the dust off uh, out of my ears and out of my various crevices. And it's not because... Trust me, I wasn't walking around naked. I don't have that level of self-expression. But man, it doesn't matter if you're wearing shorts or nothing at all. The sand gets in everything. And it is just uh, crazy to clean off. And in fact, dust gets in your eyes. And one of the things that I've been trying to, to deal with when I got back was a major eye infection. Yeah, I've been to the doctor twice. I'm happy to say it's finally getting better. But that's the fucking playa for you, man. It'll, uh, it'll beat you up but it'll make you better and it'll expand your consciousness and make you see things a little bit differently. And I'm just really grateful for that. And I can't wait for next year. And I'm so grateful that you guys have put up with me decompressing as we call it. Uh, this is my decompression episode and we're going to have a couple more decompression episodes. I'm going to talk to a couple of other burners. I kind of feel like September might be the decompression month moving forward. We'll cover Burning Man and we will talk to other burners and, and help them decompress by sharing their burns with us here, which are, is always a delight and always special. But thanks for tuning in and helping me decompress here. Grateful for you guys tuning in and listening to this soul-lonely burner talking about this year's burn on the playa, which was definitely one for the history books. Of course, before we go, please like and comment on this episode, share with your friends, check out our website and all the cool stuff we're doing for creative culture and artists, notrealart.com. This is your faithful host, Sourdough. And by the way, that's what they call me on the playa. That's my playa name, Sourdough. They only know me as Sourdough. So here's your faithful host and burner, Sourdough, signing off. Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi Deloro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.